Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. I promised uh, for quite a long time now to share a sermon entitled The Present Ministry of Jesus Christ. The Present Ministry of Jesus Christ. We are dealing with a group of people, believers across the world, who have lived faithful to the testimony that we know of the things Jesus Christ did on the earth, right? We know about his birth, we tell it, praise God, and it has its answers. We know about his life before his uh, personal ministry, and we tell about that, praise God, although some people do not give so much reference about it because in that period there was not much activity, except that we are told that the child waxed in wisdom and stature and he obtained favor before God and stuff like that. But we transition into also the spaces of his personal ministry from the beginning of his ministry all through to the end of his earthly ministry. And these are things that as a church we've exercised ourselves to tell well because they carry a very rich testimony. They collect us in a space of understanding and construct us into the wisdoms that we must carry in understanding this person because Christianity is centering on one man's work and that is the person of Jesus Christ. He comes on the earth, the Bible says, to reveal the Father. Okay, to reveal the Father, to reveal the heart of the Father. Okay? And so he lives a wonderful life. He seeks that no man dies okay the bible says that the son of god did not come to kill he did not come to destroy that's the work of the devil it's very clear he came that you might have life and life to the fullest you might have that life that will overflow but the devil came to kill steal and destroy he wills the bible says that no man perish that's the will of the father it's revealed in the person of jesus christ and so it breaks the heart of god every time we express christ as a killer Every time we express Christ as a murderer, every time we express Christ as a destroyer of things, and I have heard it in some circles of ministry so sadly that some people have a very misconstrued understanding about the heart of the Father, the person of Jesus Christ. He came to seek and save the lost. That's his ministry. He did wonderful. He lived a full life. He was crucified. He died. He was raised in glory. He ascended in heaven, he gave us gifts, and the church then was running. And that is where we are. So many a uh, time we're emphasizing on what he did, but many a time we are not placing emphasis on what he is doing presently. The present ministry of Jesus Christ. What is Jesus doing now? What is his responsibility? Okay. When he finished the work on the earth and went in heaven, he just go in heaven and he's just crossing his hands, waiting for judgment day to come back and judge. Or there is something that he's doing in this present hour. What is his responsibility? What are his functions presently? What is his ministry? His ministry, has it ceased from the time he died and was raised? Or has it continued? 
but in another way. And that's what I want to share with you. Those are the things that I felt God express through my spirit this morning. You see, we emphasize the sacrifice, ultimately, because that's why he came. Okay? He came to lay down his life. He's wounded for our transgressions. He's bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace is upon him. And I want to read you something in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 12, if you will read from the Amplified Version. The Bible says, He went once and for all into the holy of holies of heaven, not by virtue of the blood of goats and calves by which to make reconciliation between God and man, but his own blood, having found and secured a complete redemption and everlasting release for us. Let me first emphasize that before I go into the present ministry. When Jesus went into the holy of holies of heaven, not by virtue of the bloods of goats and calves, but by his own blood, when that blood was shed, the Bible says he secured a complete redemption for the church. Okay? We have a sheer release, a complete release okay, of us. That's what redemption is. We are redeemed. There is a total redemption. We are fruits of that redemption. Okay? We're fruits of that redemption. So when we are talking about redemption of any sense, we speak a manifestation of what is already done in Christ of what is already given in Christ, not as of something that is going to take place tomorrow or next week because you prayed or fasted. No. But why emphasize the power of this sacrifice? It had to be done once. Jesus is not going to go back again to shed his blood. All right? And much as I appreciate and respect the power and the place of the blood in the new covenant, Sometimes when Christians are emphasizing the place of the new covenant, some Christians do not have the full understanding of what this blood is to do and to what space it is provided for. Okay? That blood will never lose its power, of course, because it achieved once and for all what the blood of calves and goats could not do for a lifetime. Okay? There was no perfection under the order of the blood of goats calves. When this Christ sheds his blood, that blood is complete and perfecting for the saint once and for all. He's not going to do that again. It will never happen again. Okay? It will never happen again. Now, sometimes when people are praying against, you know, evil spirits, casting out devils, they tend to make statements like, we plead the blood, right? It's not something that I think many people understand when they say that they plead the blood. You can only plead what you have a revelation of because the blood is not a weapon. The blood of Jesus Christ was an experience of understanding. And it's in that revelation that the devil is destroyed. It's in that revelation that the devil is throttled. It's in that revelation that the devil is frustrated. Not all who plead the blood understand what was done in that blood. Okay? When somebody says, I plead the blood, get to the end of understanding that you are claiming the right that you were completely redeemed, you were delivered, and you were released. That is the meaning of pleading the blood. Some people plead the blood as a weapon, yet they see themselves in bondage, so they recognize the bondage that they are in, okay? and they plead the blood as a weapon to come out of that bondage. That is a wrong interpretation of the word of God. The right interpretation of pleading the blood Okay, is the claiming of the right that you have in Christ Jesus by telling the devil that you know and you are fully aware that that blood shed at Calvary 
provided your complete release. Your complete release. Okay? But that is not the blood that rebukes the devil. No. It is the life that comes after that blood, which is in you, that rebukes the devil. Okay? The church has to transition from the reality of the blood, like we recognize the cross, but we are sure, certain, that Christ is no longer on that cross. That is why as believers, we don't wear crosses where Christ is on a cross. We don't draw any picture of the Christ on the cross and wear that because we have transcended that. We are now in the experience of appreciation of that life. And if there's any expression of physical symbol, artifact, for us we seek the expression of that which demonstrates and manifests and shows off the life which we have in Christ. He died, he shed his blood that you might have life. Okay, So it's that life that you receive when you become born again, you're a new creation. And behold, the old is past and now the new, and all things are of God. Okay? You're a new creation. You are regenerated. You are born again. Okay? You are a possessor of a life. The same life that is in Christ Jesus. For the Bible says that he that hath the Son hath life within him. And he that hath not the Son hath not life within him. That the life which is of God is away. So you are a possessor of that life. It is by that life that you can speak of the blood. Okay? You cannot speak of the blood without the revelation of that life with which you have in Christ Jesus. All right? So the reason why I emphasize that is that some people say we plead the blood, but they don't even know what they're actually saying. They don't have a revelation of what they're saying. They're using the blood as a weapon, yet the blood is supposed to be a revelation of experience that takes them to the end of claiming the right that they have in Christ, that we are redeemed, we are free, and therefore, devil, you have no power over us. All right? That is why some of you rebuke devils, have cast out things, and people shake, scream, roll on the floor, the devil plays on your head, and tomorrow the same thing you cast out of that person is in that person a hundred times more, or tomorrow the person becomes worse, or nothing changes with that person because you don't have a revelation of what you are saying. You can only plead the blood when you have the revelation of the life which is in Christ. And when you understand that life which is in Christ, even the mere looking at a devil in a person and telling it, go, it's enough for it to go. Okay? But sometimes we have added a few more things. All right? It's like uh, I've seen people, uh, and I'm sorry I'm going to emphasize this because it's important. I've seen people, for example, blow chauffeurs. Okay? I'm not against blowing chauffeurs. You can blow your chauffeur. But... Do you know the life that is in you, that is in Christ Jesus, that it does not need a shofar to act? Did you see Jesus Christ blowing a shofar in Scripture? Did you see Jesus or Paul, the apostle, teaching about the blowing of a shofar? You understand? So I'm not against the blowing of a shofar. But to think that because you've blown a shofar, you're going to evoke a deeper presence of God beyond the reality of a man who is supposed to worship him in spirit and in truth, sometimes we end up yielding more to shadows and lose the substance which is Jesus Christ. You think that a lame man is going to stand in front of you and you're going to blow a shofar for that bond to walk? No, he told you what to do. He told you to command with your mouth and that shall be so. So I'm not against the blowing of it, but some people don't even have 
the full understanding of why they blow what they blow because I've been around spaces, I've traveled. One time I was in a space in Asia and the guy was blowing this and I asked him, why are you blowing what you're blowing? And I realized when he started to tell me the revelation behind what he thought was, it was so, so traditionally legal that it lacked the revelation of the present truth and the life with which we have in Christ Jesus. Okay, so I'm not against what you may do in your understanding, but I have a challenge when the church has not yet fully understood the life with which we have in Christ Jesus. And sometimes we use certain elements that are have a sort of godly sense and, and probably uh, connect with cultures and traditions in the faith, but we lack the understanding of that life. Men were sick. And they used to bring them under men's shadows in the New Testament. And these shadows used to heal these men. They didn't have to blow something or say, we plead the blood of Jesus. And as they are pleading the blood, and then the lame are walking. No, no. They were elevated. They had matured into a certain reality of life. Not that they did not respect the blood or anything, but that they had understood fully who they are and what God requires of them in that dispensation. And I know that the things I'm speaking, if you are more traditional than revelational, they will not make sense to you. If you're more, you know, nominal and conservative, some of these things might not make sense to you. But the church is advancing triumphantly every other day and we see the results, the answers of the gospel working through us intently. God has the end of presenting the church perfect, spotless and without wrinkle, okay? Because that's what he did that is why he went to the cross. That is why he shed his blood. That is why he gave his life. That is why he came on this earth. But he comes on this earth, leaves, and uh, is dead, is raised into glory, gives the, the gifts, and the church marches on. Right. So what is his present ministry? One, the priesthood. We must understand that Christ obtained a particular priesthood. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 14, it says, For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident, for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest. The Bible says he is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. For he testifieth, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Bible says he is not after a law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. The power of an endless life. The power of an endless life. What it means for life to be endless in that order of priesthood. And what power that means. What does it mean when something is endless? It means it cannot be changed. It cannot decay. It cannot be corrupted. It cannot be frustrated. It cannot be stopped. It cannot be misdirected. It cannot be attacked to destruction. Nothing can change that. Nothing can change that. Nothing can change that. But to understand that order of priesthood, okay, to understand what that priest does, to understand the responsibility 
of that priest. Because when you go back into the Aaronic order, the Bible says Moses spoke nothing about it. Okay? Because the revelation then was not full. And neither was it beneficial for the children of Israel to understand fully who this Melchizedek was. Okay? But the Bible speaks of a man who had no beginning, no end of days, who had no mother, who had no father. The Christ comes in that figure in the Old Testament dispensation. And they cannot, of course, have the revelation of him. They cannot understand him. All right? And so Moses doesn't say much about him. So we come in the New Testament. We carry the full understanding because we see how these two priests operate. Okay? In the Aaronic order, the blood of animals sorts the issue of sin. In the Melchizedek order, he becomes the sacrifice. Right? The Bible says we have not a high priest who is not touched with our infirmities. He is touched. Why is he touched with our infirmities? Because he doesn't give an animal for sacrifice. He becomes the ultimate sacrifice. He bears our sins. The Bible says he was tempted and tried in all points. Yet, the Bible says he knew no sin. He suffered. He went through everything that any human being could go through. Right? So, he has obtained, the Bible says, a better covenant, a, a better testimony, a better priesthood. His priesthood is different from the Aaronic. Right? The Aaronic, you know, was generational from family to family, sons of priests became priests and sons of priests became priests. But the Melchizedek order, it's not after blood. Okay, it's not after the genealogy of blood. It's not after the law of carnal commandment. Okay, perhaps you need to understand the law of carnal commandments. If we go back in uh, in Hebrews seven, uh, verse sixteen, if you will read it from the Amplified Bible, it says he has been constituted a priest not on the basis of a bodily legal requirement. Okay? And that is an externally imposed command concerning his physical ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an endless and indestructible life. You see, so it's not based on his physical ancestry. Your children are not going to be men of God because their father was a man of God. They can and will receive the full blessing of the promise that he has given to his saints touching their seed. They shall be told of God, their peace shall be many, shall be for signs and wonders, potent, their name shall be great. All of those promises are yes, but that does not necessarily mean that because I'm an apostle, therefore my child must be an apostle, or that my child must be a pastor. But they all must know God, they all must be daughter of God, they all must have an experience with God, but it doesn't mean that it's a must for them to take over their father's responsibility. And I've seen pastors pushing their children who are not anywhere like them. And they're trying to shape them to be like them because they look at their ministry as a monarchy. They look at it as a generational ancestry thing that has to be passed on over by bloods. That's so sad. It's not how this priesthood works. Okay? A man can qualify in a certain position as a eunuch. Because he has separated himself for the sake of the kingdom. Every day the kingdom of God is exchanging assignments. Even though the gifts are constant. For the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. But the kingdom of God is exchanging assignments every other day. It is. Why? Because some people God has assigned to do particular things. And some simply refuse. 
Some people don't recognize that even as a born-again Christian, you still contain that will. You still have that will within you, and you have the choice to walk that course or not. God is not going to force you to do what you do not want to do because the Spirit of God, the person of God, is a very, very loving spirit. And because he's a very loving spirit, is agape. Agape is inviting. Agape is not enforcing. It doesn't force a man, right? It constrains but leaves the decision to the man to do. You see what I'm saying? So the assignments are changing every day. Things change every day because that's how this order works, okay? This priesthood is not in the presence of the Father or in the highest level of the presence of God like the Aaronic. The Aaronic priesthood used to enter for the sins of men. This one, the sacrifice has been done once and for all. So when he is in the presence of God, his ministry as a priest is different. It's different. And I'll show you what it does. Again, in the same chapter, Hebrews 17, we will skip now over into the verses 24. I want to talk about that space of the priest in the presence. Because in the ironic, they used to enter the presence for the sins of the people. They used to shed blood of animals, and then they get into the presence to atone for the sins. Once that is done, they come out. That's all they do in the presence. They enter to serve for the sins, all right? Now that this one we have has shed his blood, and the sin issue is no longer a factor for those that believe, there's no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the life-giving spirit, remember the power of endless life? For the law of the life-giving spirit in Christ Jesus had set us free from the law of sin and death. So his issue in the New Testament is not the issue of sin. Okay. Now, in 24 he says, but this man, now he's talking about Melchizedek. He says, but this man, because he continueth ever, remember that priesthood, exists forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Okay? And 25 says, Wherefore he is also able to save to the uttermost them that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. He ever liveth to make intercession for them. So this priest in that order liveth to make intercession for you, to plead in your behalf, okay? to stand before the Father and plead on your behalf. But how does he plead on your behalf? Remember, he's able to save to the uttermost they that come unto God by him, they that can connect to God by him, seeing he ever liveth right, to intercede. So the intercessions of the Christ are for the glory of salvation of any nature. Okay? Not just the salvation of our souls, but the salvation of your body through healing, divine health, and the rest. Salvation of your spirit through understanding and all these other things. But the Bible says he ever liveth to make intercession for you and I. But how does he make intercession? He does not give intercession for you and I indifferent of your understanding or the true understanding of what he has done or circumspect to what he has done, what has been accomplished in him versus what is expected of you as a believer and expected of him and God the Father in that picture. I'll give you an example. When Jesus was on the surface of this earth, 
if he was to intercede for a man, he would say, Father, thank you, because you heal this person, heal this person, deliver this person, do this. For he could do that in the flesh, right? But when he finished that work at the cross at Calvary, one, understand, if you have to understand the intercession of the Christ, understand what Jesus did for the church. Why did he go on the cross? He went on the cross to purchase your eternal salvation, that you might be free from sin, for the wages of sin was death. And that death is of any sort of death, physical death, emotional death, okay, psychological death. Anything that dies is as a result of sin. Anything that we see with any order or spirit of death to it, whether your business died or your health is failing, or your relationship is failing, any sort of decimation and cessation of life, any nature of death is as a result of the fallen nature of man. Okay? And when Jesus comes to defeat the power of death and take the keys of death, he is saying, I've come to deal with any former nature of death. I am come, he said, that you might have life. So when he's talking about that life, he's talking about life, salvation, eternally, that your souls are saved from death and eternal damnation, that you might inherit eternal life. He comes that your business will have life. He comes that your marriage will have life. He comes that your family will have life. He comes that you might have life. Okay? You must understand that, that he comes that you might have life. Okay? Now, did he do it? Yes, he paid the full price of it to the full. There is nothing more he needs to do to ascertain that position for the church. It is full, it is given, it is complete, nothing wanting, nothing missing. So, if he's interceding, he's no longer interceding for what he already finished. He has gone past the giving of life. right? He has gone past the prayer for life for a believer, for a believer, okay? If a man is not born again, that one we pray for them that they might have life. You understand? But when a man is born again, we don't ask that they might have that life because they already have that life in Christ Jesus. They already have that life, all right? Jesus, the Bible says he's the propitiation of all our sins, not only for us, but for the world also. Men are saved. In fact, I'm going to say something and I'm going to qualify it. The whole world is saved. Muslim, Momo, non-believer, atheist, the whole world is saved. That's what it means to be the propitiator. But the whole world is not born again. What does it mean to be born again? To receive the free gift of life and righteousness in Christ. The whole world is saved, but the whole world has not received the gift of salvation. It is given to everybody. But they've not received it. Okay? So, some people say, oh, my name is so and so and I'm saved. Even a Muslim can say, I am Ahmed bin Muhammad and I'm saved. But, is he born again? Are you born again? Right? So some people usually use that word to mean that because they say they are saved, they imply that they are born again. No. To become born again is to receive the gift of salvation. Okay? That is what it means to be a new creation in Christ Jesus. 
But salvation is available for the whole world. That's what the Bible says. He is the propitiation of all our sins, and not only for us, but also the sins of the whole world. He has given the full price. He has saved the world. But the world has not received and accepted that gift of salvation. And that is why he's going to judge them. Okay? Some people say, oh, if Jesus cared, why is this happening? If Jesus cared, why is this happening? If Jesus cares about us, why is this happening? He has given everything that anybody in the world needs to have life. He's just extending his hand to say, are you willing to receive me? Receive him, the Bible says, you're given the right to be called a son of God, a daughter of the Most High. Now back to this intercession. Because Jesus did all that, all right? If he was wounded for your transgressions, bruised for iniquities, the chastisement of your peace was upon him by his stripes, ye were healed. Okay? Jesus cannot now go to the Father and see a dying woman in hospital, you know, and he says, Father, please heal her. That's not the intercession of Christ. Why? Because he did everything possible for that person to be born again, but also to be healed. They were healed. He shed that blood entirely that that person might be saved. That person might be saved. So you can't say, oh, God, I'm praying for this person. And Jesus can't say, oh, Father, I'm praying for this person that they might be healed. He did it. Okay? He cannot pray for the believer for a financial breakthrough. He's not interceding for your financial breakthrough. Because we know the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Although he was rich, but he became poor. Why did he become poor? That through that poverty he has obtained, you might become rich. You might take his wealth. So Jesus sees you as a wealthy person. What if physically you've lost your job, you don't have money, you don't have food, you don't have anything? Yes, it's possible. But that doesn't mean that Jesus looks at you poor. Because you are lacking financially, physically. He doesn't see you sick because your body is ailing and you have been diagnosed with a killer disease and you're a believer. No, he doesn't see you that way. Because he knows what he did and that is once and for all. It cannot be annulled. It can't be broken. It can't be changed. Okay? In fact, let me even say this. He doesn't pray for you that you might defeat the power of sin. Because he has given everything that you need to be above sin. The Bible says, For sin shall not have dominion over us, for we are not under the law, but under grace. Sin shall have no dominion over you. Shall have no dominion over you. So Jesus cannot say, Father, please help uh, Rita or Derek. He's struggling with pornography. Help him. Oh, help him. No. Jesus sees that Derek is above the dominion of sin. It has no power over him. So Jesus cannot pray that Derek overcomes the power because Jesus doesn't see sin as a power in the life of a believer. All right? He doesn't see it that way. And many such things, everything that was accomplished at the shedding of that blood, Christ does not intercede for the church for the manifestation of the same. Because it's done. It's done. It's finished. It is done. When he was on the cross, he said, it is finished. So what does he intercede for the believer? Okay? When a man comes to the Father okay, for a prayer, what does he do for the believer? 
He said, in that day, you shall ask me nothing, but you shall ask in my name, but you shall ask me nothing. Don't ask me for anything. It's not my ministry to give you a car. It's not my ministry to give you a house. It's not my ministry. Everything has been given. Paul says, for all things are yours, and ye are Christ's, whether things present or things to come. He says, they are all yours. It's like a believer, pastor, who says, oh, also my ministry has been struggling financially. We never have enough. And then one guy told him, of course you'll never have enough. And I see why this person is saying, of course you'll never have enough, because he's looking at the physical need of the church. But if his eyes were to open fully to understand what Christ has done, he would actually say, the church will always have more than enough for the full work and duty and its responsibility on the earth. Why? Because to say that you can never have enough as a minister in ministry in the church, you mean to say that you are the builder of that ministry, the builder of that church. The Bible says, on this rock shall I build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. Jesus is building his ministry. Because it's not working in your circle or in your church or in your assignment, it doesn't mean that the church of Jesus Christ is broken, lacking across the world, or that the activities of the Christ have come to a stall because you don't have enough money as a minister. Maybe you're building your own ministry and your own kingdom, but the ministry of Christ has all the supplies that it needs to go on and move on as it must. It has all the money in the world. It has all the ministers in the world. It has all the service that it needs. It has all the computers and networks. It has every social media platform. It has the one of Christ. Not the ones that we've built, because sometimes men build kingdoms. and We justify those as a ministry of Christ. Oh, we are the faces and, and we are all there is for the ministry. But when things happen and they go the way they're not supposed to go, we say, ah, it's Jesus' ministry. It's him. You have. No, no, no. If it's his ministry, there is a way it's supposed to go. There's a way it's supposed to function. There's a way it's supposed to move. To arise to the consciousness that the church of Jesus, which he builds, will never lack. And therefore, if I am a minister in his vineyard, if I'm a servant, a bond servant, in his own service and ministry, I should never be conscious of lack. I should never be conscious of lack. Okay? So, some people think Jesus is there praying, oh, give pastor so-and-so a car, give him a house, give him, you know, a platform on TV. No, that's not the intercession of the Christ. Everything that he has given, provided, availed, all of that that we know has been fulfilled in him, he has no place of interceding because nothing has changed. It's present, it's given, it's available for us. But then there's a missing piece here between what is given available and for us, but what is manifesting and we don't see yet or what is not working yet we know by God it is given. There's a gap there. And what is the gap? The gap is ignorance. The gap is ignorance. Therefore, six, my people perish for a lack of wisdom. Are you poor? Because the devil has attacked you and as a Christian, you're fighting the devil. No, you're not poor because the devil has attacked you. In fact, 
you are poor because you do not know what Christ has done and what is available for you and how to access what is available for you. So Jesus sees the ignorant Christian who has all things and he sees that this Christian is not able to manifest or walk or live in the reality of those things and he sees the gap of that darkness which is ignorance and he liveth to intercede that may this person who has and has been given everything come to the knowledge of the truth for he wills that all men be saved and that they might come to the knowledge of the truth the knowledge of the truth that you might know that you're poor for no reason. That you're sick for no reason. For no reason. There is no reason. Oh, you know, some die, some don't die, some are healed, some are not healed, for some it works, for some it doesn't. No, it's in your head. But what has he said? He healed all your diseases. Peter says so, by his stripes, ye were healed. So you have no excuse. There is no reason why you should stay with an unfunctioning heart, with an unfunctioning liver, with an unfunctioning kidney, with an unfunctioning hand, with an unfunctioning joints. There's no reason. It's not there. Oh, you know, some of us might be healed. Some, you know, that's life. No, that's your interpretation of life. But when the Christ looks in heaven, he doesn't see that that's how life should be interpreted. He has given everything that pertains to life and godliness. He has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You have everything that you need to live a fulfilled life. It's available. Everything. You just don't know how to connect to it. And so he says, okay, let me intercede for this person to have knowledge. Let me intercede for this person to have understanding. Let me intercede for this person to have revelation. No wonder when we see the apostle in the New Testament, those are the prayers he's praying for the church. That they might know the mystery of his will. That they might know the glorious riches in Christ. That they might know exceeding grace of power. Those are the prayers that Jesus, I believe, is praying. And you see that these are the same things that illuminate through the spirit of the apostolic prayer and burden. That is the apostolic burden. That men may come to that knowledge. That we may know the truth. So Jesus is praying, not for your healing, but that you will know that you are healed. Not for your poverty, but that you will know that you are rich. That's the intercession. Okay, that's the intercession. So then you'll ask me, so if he's praying, so why is it that some still die sick, and uh, some you know, still die poor, and some still do this, and some still do that? You see... The translation of the answering of that prayer okay, comes in the form of knowledge. Jesus will get people, place um, situations, circumstances. Through that prayer, the Father will avail circumstances that invite you to that understanding and to that knowledge. But you still have the choice to either take that knowledge or not. You still have the choice to receive that understanding or not. Okay? The choice is still yours. You can hear a preacher preaching and he tells you the truth and he shares the word with you. And you can choose. Okay? I'll give you an example. 
Somebody refuses to listen to truth because the preacher they're listening to, their pastor told them that that person is evil and is that and that and that. Yeah. And so, to Jesus is saying, okay, if you are saying that this person is so, what is the biblical basis that whoever has accused this person has best on to accuse them? Have you analyzed the biblical you know, requirement of one to accuse another? And if this person is not in that order, how then do you want to say that the person who has your message has not gotten it to you because a certain person told you evil about that individual, but you as a believer did not take time to know the expectation of heaven touching the accusation of people because it's clear here, first and judge. How can you judge who you have not heard? How can you judge who you have not heard? It's very clear. So you also judge because your friend told you about that person that they are wrong. And so you also judge that matter without hearing. Okay. And then your salvation or your help or your deliverance is perhaps with that individual. And then later you judge God why you were not delivered. No, you were not delivered because you had already broken a principle underlying the reality that could open that door or window of knowledge for you that could save you through the individual God has ordained to help you because you did not qualify the other realities and truths in light with what you heard in the accusations to know has this person followed the right way of things. You see what I'm saying? And so there's a frustration that a Christian might not see answers, breakthroughs, but it's because probably of how you dealt with certain things. It's because of probably earlier how you dealt with certain realities and experiences. And some things are so correlated with other events in life that one act can frustrate another act. One way of walking off the purposes as God teaches in the Word can frustrate other things also in life. And sometimes you can find that somebody, for example, is struggling with divine healing, to walk in divine healing. But you go back, you realize there's something on unforgiveness that closed the certain door of revelation and understanding for their answer. It's so funny how these things are, you know, interconnected. So this intercessor is living to pray that the Christian, the believer, will come to the understanding, to the wisdom, to the knowledge, of the truth in every aspect that is frustrating you. But number two, there's something that First uh, John chapter 2, verses 1 expresses about the ministry of this man. He says that my little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. Okay? And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous man. Now, we are also introduced to Jesus, the advocate. He says we have Jesus Christ, the advocate. He's an advocate. He's not just an intercessor. But he's also an advocate. Who is an advocate? An advocate is a lawyer. You cannot have an advocate or a lawyer, someone representing you, without a counter-accusation, without an accusation on you. Remember, Satan, the Bible says, is the accuser of the brethren. Satan is called the accuser. In fact, the name Satan is accuser. Okay? If we go through the Old Testament, we'll see stories of Job. Have you considered my servant? Job, and then you see Satan coming before to get his life. Satan has a way of going before God to accuse the saints, to accuse the believer. 
This guy is born again, but see what he's doing. This sister is born again, but you see what she's doing. You see, I told you, she's doing this and that and that and that. How can you say they're born again? Da, 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 da. You have an advocate with the Father, and that is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's the one that comes through and says, hey, I shed that blood already. Okay? Before the Christ comes, when Satan went to the Father to accuse a man or a woman of God, there was no advocate. But now we have an advocate with the Father because something was done that warrants the presence of that advocate before the Father. And that is the shedding of the blood, that ultimate sacrifice to say, look, if you bring any issue of sin before the Father, touching a believer, I, the Christ, am present to plead that case for the sake of of that believer. Any day, any time, he is present. He is present. So what accusation can the devil rail on a believer? What accusation? Whatever accusation he has, if God the Father is heeding to these cases, listening into these cases, who will he side with? The devil or the one that is one with him? Because Christ is a representation of the heart of the Father. He has expressed himself in Christ is the express image of the invisible God. Okay, So it means when he's advocating for you, he is speaking for your advantage. He's speaking for your release. He's speaking for your breakthrough. He's speaking for your deliverance. He's speaking for your pardon. He's speaking for your covering. That is what he does as an advocate. He is always standing in that gap to say, look, you bring an accusation on this woman, but I shed my blood, and that's a finished issue. They mean that Satan, they continuously accuse. There's something in Satan that tells him, okay, that he has to constantly accuse, because to accuse is not just his way, it's his nature also, predominantly his nature. He will constantly, constantly seek to accuse, constantly, constantly seek to accuse, constantly, constantly. That is why we have a problem with Christians who simply are constantly and constantly accusing others. They're accusing and accusing and accusing and accusing. They're always pointing fingers. Everybody around them is wrong except them. They are constantly, constantly causing and accusing. But you see, it's easy to later see that this is a devil working through this individual. He's not God. Because if they were in the spirit of Christ, they will, in the space of accusation, put intercession. They will, in the space of accusation, put advocacy. Okay? So that is the present ministry of the Christ. The priest liveth to make intercession for us and advocacy for our sin. That is the present ministry of the Christ. Father, we thank you because we learn today what you are doing, and the work you do constantly without ceasing. We receive all that has been given to us in Christ Jesus. And we decree and we declare that we refuse to fall for the lies of the devil, of lack, of inconsistency, of shortfall, of weakness. We choose to see the strength, the provision, the health, the glory, and everything that has been given us
because that's what Jesus seeks to intercede for us every day. And that we claim the righteousness of God in Christ because Jesus hath become our sin. He not only has done that, but he has transcended in the heavenlies and ever liveth to be our advocate in our weaknesses. That Satan will not plead a case over us for judgment on us, but that through divine love and mercy and grace, we will walk this course even as Christ perfects us that in the end we shall be complete in him. And now because of that, Wisdom, understanding, knowledge are all ours. And that may you help us, O oh God, soften our hearts to revelation, to knowledge, to wisdom. That our hearts will constantly be open to receive of what the Father ministereth to us through our intercessor. We bless you because salvation is ours. Healing is ours. Breakthrough is ours. Provision is ours. Divine strength is ours. Everything that we have in Christ manifests by understanding and that we receive it all through Christ Jesus. We bless you, Lord, because great things are working in our lives. The sick, be healed right now. If you've been struggling anywhere in your body, receive what was already given by Christ. Simple. Those of you that are struggling in finances, May God give you understanding of how to align yourself in the principles of the Spirit and that may breakthroughs come in your life. Anybody struggling in your relationship, may God give you understanding of where the issue is because that's the intercession of the Christ and that through that, an answer will come for your household. May you come to the knowledge of the truth. Grace and peace be multiplied through the knowledge of the truth. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. If you're not born again and you've not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've been listening in, you know, his arms are open wide to bring you in. And all you have to do is pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you shed your blood for me was raised for my glory. Today, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. I'm born again. Amen. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero, make manifest. Thank you.